Hey, Hales. Yeah? What's a lawyer's favorite drink? What? Subpina colada. Warning. The following podcast is not suitable for listeners of any age. The podcast may include poor guitar playing, dad jokes, and inducement of fear acquisition syndrome. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to you whenever you're listening. I'm your host, Carson. And I'm Haley. And welcome to the Pedals and Pickups podcast. In this podcast, we'll talk about your news in the music industry. We're faster than Internet Explorer, but who isn't? Famous pieces of gear that I'm too broke to buy. Famous artists he'll never be able to play like. And topics or tips about guitars and music recording. Welcome back to another week on the wonderful Pedals and Pickups podcast. Um, so... You know, it's tax return season. Uh, we have been planning some pretty pretty nice upgrades to the studio. Uh, very busy this weekend. In fact, I actually wrote this episode like, I don't know. I just finished it right before we started recording because I was messing around with all kinds of stuff, trying to plan out these upgrades and how I was going to lay out everything. And uh, You spent like six hours planning it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you came up to me yesterday. You were like, so what are we recording tomorrow? And I was like, oh, that's right. We have to record tomorrow. And I was like, well, I'm going to stay up and I'm going to grind out the script. And then midnight, I was like, all right, I'm calling it quits. I'm going to bed. I'm surprised you stayed up till midnight. You're kind of an old man. Oh, 100%. But uh, eventually, because of this thing, I'm gathering a bunch of data, recording a bunch of scratch tracks now about how the studio is. And then after we finish the upgrade... I want to do a whole episode where we talk about upgrading your home studio. We kind of did a segment of an episode on setting up a home studio, but it wasn't very detailed, um, didn't go nearly as deep into it as I wanted to. So hopefully after doing this, we'll have some data to give you guys and we'll make a really, really deep dive episode on all the work that we're putting into this. But yeah, anyway, let's get right into our news. So Fulltone, makers of the acclaimed OCD, Full Drive, and Soulbender are out of retirement. Back in 2022, Fulltone closed their production facility, and it wasn't clear if they would ever come back. Fulltone entered into talks with Jackson Audio's founder, Brad Jackson, about reviving the Fulltone name in a collaboration with Jackson Audio. The whole reason that Fulltone closed down was that Mike Fuller made some not-so-great remarks back in 2022, and after these remarks, Reverb.com said it was ceasing the sales of all Fulltone products. A few other retailers, I believe, went the same route. And that likely made a pretty big hit in Fulltone's revenue, considering Reverb has a large sales volume, especially for guitar pedals. Now, Mike Fuller did apologize for his remarks. Uh, we'll see if that apology lands. But in his closing statement, he stated that he wanted to sort of wind down and live a more relaxed life. It's kind of interesting that he comes back in a collaboration only two years after that. I don't know, most people don't retire, and then two years later they're like, yep, I'm going to reopen my business entirely. <laughs> it must have really hit hard. Yeah, I, I don't think it was a, oh, I want to be more relaxed. I, I think it was a worry about his poor choices on Twitter. But, uh, yeah, two years, now they're back with Jackson Audio. It sort of makes sense if you look at it from Mike's point of view. Um, maybe this collaboration with Jackson Audio takes kind of the weight off of Mike Fuller's shoulders. Like, I don't know if you guys, uh, I follow a big YouTube channel called Linus Tech Tips. Um, really enjoy watching them, like, build computers and stuff. You just watch Canadians do crazy stuff. Kind of like uh, Trailer Park Boys. Not really. I love Canada. But uh, 
the the guy that runs it, Linus Sebastian, he was the CEO of this company, Linus Media Group, and he was too stressed out. So he stepped down as CEO, gave that role up, and became the chief vision officer. So he can still appear in videos, but he's not responsible for the overall management of the company. And that might be what's going on here. So I don't know. I can see that making sense. You want to be a little more relaxed, but then you retire and realize like you have nothing to do. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm worried about uh, when I retire. <laughs> I think you'll be fine. You always find little projects to do. Oh, yeah. I'm going to find something. But th that's the thing, though. I find little projects when I'm busy. What about when I have nothing to do? I'm going to build a rocket ship or something. <laughs> I'm down for that. I'm curious to see how this collaboration goes. Uh, Jackson Audio is known for making some pretty complex pedals, including their fuzz, which actually includes swappable fuzz boards to change the pedal into different circuit designs of popular fuzz pedals, like the fuzz face and the tone bender, among many others. Full tone pedals are pretty simple devices for the most part, and I wonder if this new partnership will bring any change to that, or if Mike Fuller's involvement will keep the brand at its roots. We know for sure that they're bringing back the OCD and the full drive. Uh, I'd be surprised if they didn't bring back the Soulbender, the 69, and the nice. Deja Vibe. What? Nice. Nice to what? You know what. You're making a 69 joke? Because <laughs> 69 is the sex number. And you call can me you the child. Can you say that on our podcast? Yeah, we can. Sex is not a swear. Well. <laughs> if you're old you enough to look up a podcast, friendly. you've probably had the talk But you're at always this point. like, family friendly, family yeah. friendly. Where do you think families come from? <laughs> I know, but like. Mm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you made that joke a, a few episodes ago. So oh, I 100% did. You're going to get on me about it. Well, I'm the child here. You're the adult. You've got to rein me in. True. See. Uh, the Soulbender, the 69, and the Deja Vibe were pretty popular, so I'd be surprised if they didn't bring those back. But they're also stating that they're going to bring some new products to the full-tone lineup, which I'm pretty excited to see. Um, they're announcing it at this year's NAM, which we'll talk about in just a bit. And uh, yeah, from there, we should get some super impressive stuff out of it. Happy to see it. In our next piece of gear... Wolfgang Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen's son, has released a new signature guitar on none other than the late Eddie Van Halen's birthday, January 26th. This new guitar, the SA-126, is actually named after his dad's birthday, but the specs are what are really interesting to me. It seems to be a sort of Les Paul-style guitar that has a bit of a Ibanez Talman shape going on to it. It's got a semi-hollow body comprised of mahogany body and neck, basswood block, an ebony fingerboard, but only 22 frets though. Uh, it's got a spoke wheel truss rod adjustment and an interestingly unique tunematic style bridge and tailpiece that they're referring to as a harmonica bridge. Don't know how I like the look of that. That's about the size of a pickup that's definitely got some mass to it. <laughs> the pickups on this guy, speaking of which, are two signature humbuckers for the model with Les Paul style two volume and two tone controls. I'm really liking the variety of finishes. It comes in four with a flat black finish, a sunburst finish, a purple quilted flame maple, and a flat olive drab. Honestly, I'm a really big fan of olive drab guitars. Like, I know they seem boring, but Jackson made this uh, super strat style olive drab shredder with a maple neck that I absolutely love the look of, not to mention Fender's Ampro 2 Jaguar and olive drab that I really love. Now, speaking of the style, this is actually what I wanted to ask you about, Hales. I know you're not usually a fan of the look of semi-hollows. You right. absolutely hate my Telecaster. <laughs> But these F-holes, to me, 
they look a little different than the standard F-hole. You know, normally F-holes on guitars kind of look like the F-holes on violins, violas. These guys look like, the closest thing I can describe it as is like a scimitar, I guess. You know, you got like the hilt down at the bottom and then the big curved blade at the top. Right. And with these colors and this design of F-hole, I want to know what you think about the style of it. You're definitely more art-minded than I am. I actually really like it. Yeah? I'm a big fan of the purple one, of course. The green one's actually pretty nice, too. Oh, yeah. If for some reason, if, you know, Wolfgang Van Halen came to me today and was like, which one of these do you want? Uh, I would have a hard time deciding between purple or olive drab. Probably pick olive drab for this one because it kind of reminds me of, like, a Fender Starcaster. Um, but, yeah, I'd have a hard time deciding. <laughs> I'm pretty surprised, though. I do like the design. Yeah, normally you really, really hate semi-hollows. I mostly just really hate your Telecaster. I love it. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. Anyway, these guys go for $1,800 for the standard top and $1,900 for the quilted maple top. While that price range initially makes me sort of recoil, it is a signature model from EVH that's been road tested and in development for about two years and until I can actually try one and see how it feels, how the pickups sound, and how the tuners hold up, I'll bite my tongue. So, if you guys remember from last year, it seemed like a lot of people were claiming that NAM was dead. After COVID, NAM sort of ground to a halt, and the prevailing rumor was that NAM and the musical trade shows in general would become a thing of the past. Now, it used to be that NAM was one of the biggest events of the year for the gear world. Manufacturers large and small from all over the world would send representatives and product samples to the show to get media coverage of their upcoming releases and drive up hype. I believe it was due to some decisions of the NAM management, such as increasing the prices of booth space at NAM by a large percentage that drove many large retailers and manufacturers out of the space. These manufacturers realized that instead of renting a booth, paying for flights, meals, and hotels for their reps and the shipping for their gear, they could simply send a product to a YouTuber, pay a nominal fee, and have their product instantly reach hundreds of thousands of people via gear demos. Even large brands like Fender and Gibson have opted out of NAM in recent years, and 2024 has been theorized to be the pivotal point to really see if NAM is back to being a viable trade show with participation from a majority of the music industry. You know, 2020 through 2022 were the COVID years, the dark times. Obviously, the NAM is panoramic. Isn't, yeah. NAM isn't really going to do... You call it the panoramic? Yeah. <laughs> the pandemic? The panoramic. Oh, I hope that was on purpose. It Otherwise, was. Okay, I was going to be very joke. disappointed in you. No, those times make sense for NAM to be really bad. I mean, nobody wants to be out and about during the Rona. But 2023, maybe like recovering from that. Okay, I see that. 2024, we've now had some time to bounce back. People are well and truly out of their houses, right? They're going out, they're doing stuff, going to amusement parks, trade shows included. So this is seen to be as, okay, will NAM actually recover from COVID or is it going to be a thing of the past? Will NAM go the way of the dinosaurs? I was looking at the floor plan for NAM and it seems like Fender and Gibson have opted out again this year, but this year, NAM is actually looking pretty enormous, taking up the entirety of the Anaheim Convention Center in California, with big names like Seymour Duncan, Ibanez, Schechter, and Electro Harmonics being present. Although, some of the largest players, like we talked about, Fender, Gibson, uh, Marshall, and Paul Reed Smith, are still all opting out. At least to me, it seems like NAM is still alive and healthy, even without the participation of those larger names. 
I always enjoy seeing the videos and the press coverage of NAM, and I hopefully plan to make it out there in the next couple of years or so. Uh, so, uh, creators of NAM, um, please don't kill it before I get to go. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, we wanted to do something a little fun. Um, maybe mostly because I really didn't plan. So now we're, uh, we were scrambling for a topic, and I had some ideas, and I pitched them to Haley, and then she's like, what are you working on? And I was like, oh, I'm doing this. And you're like, well, you had all these ideas. I'm like, yeah, I didn't like them. This came to me, like, immediately, and I was like, I have to do this. So hopefully this stroke of inspiration works out pretty well. I am going from the hunter to the hunted, from the challenger to the challenged. Normally, all of our challenges on the show involve sort of lightly bullying Haley and asking her to tell the difference between things or quizzing her on the history of stuff, and she's not really a guitar player, at least not like a majority of us. So this week, we are going to put me to the test. Since this show has started, my whole goal has been to give you guys information on the history and operation of your favorite gear, plus hoping to show you guys where you can save a buck or two and still get some great sound. I asked Haley to pick a genre and a budget, and our goal this week is to build a pedal board on a budget, everything included, to meet the majority of demands of the genre. You want to list the actual rules of the challenge, Hales? Sure. One, you have to meet the budget. No exceptions. No, oh, this is only like $5 over. None of that. Two, the board should be designed to get through a cover band style gig in that genre. Three, your budget must include an actual pedal board that fits all of the pedals you plan to use along with your power supply. Wait, do I actually have to like build the board? I don't have any spare pedal boards or anything. Yeah, you better get to the wood shop. You're kidding, right? Yes, of course I'm kidding. They're close it's today. Fine. It's fine. As long as we get to hear it, don't worry about actually putting the board itself together. Okay. Four, any accessories such as switchers, buffers, or anything else has to be included in the budget. Fair. Five, you have to use an analog amp to demo the board. No cheating by using the effects in a modeling amp. I see you. Oh, come on. That was going to be my saving grace there. Yeah. Just one pedal and then a Fender Mustang to have 200 effects for whatever I want. Well, it wouldn't really be much of a challenge if you could cheat with a modeler, would it? I guess not. Yeah. And six, you have to use new prices for the pedals. No, oh, I found this one sale point on Reverb for like $150 less than MSRP. Brand new prices that you can get today. Who does that? Who pays full price for pedals? I'm sure a lot of people do. You have before. Yeah, but like not all the time. Most of the time I'm trying to find it used. Oh, yeah. Okay, you know what? You're being really facetious about this. I'm going to use the Telecaster. That's going to be my guitar for this. And I'm going to walk out of the room. Oh, come on. You haven't even told me the challenge yet. All right. So as I understand it, you have an envelope with your challenge written on it. I do. Here it is. Hand it to me. Get a little asthma going. Okay. So in my hands, I have this envelope, which has the details of this week's challenge. Haven't seen it yet, so I'm kind of nervous, mostly because I think Kaylee doesn't necessarily understand how much a pedal board can cost when you get all in especially when you consider the demands of some of these genres. But regardless, let's open it up and see what we're working with. 
And you guys can see how my fine motor skills don't work. God, I'm destroying this envelope. Don't rip the paper. I'm not going to rip the paper. Okay. What do we got? Alt-Rock for $1,000. Okay, so this can be either really easy or really hard, because if you're talking like, like Blink-182 Alt-Rock, I might do like a chorus and a tube screamer. What do you mean by Alt-Rock? That's a pretty big genre. So I was thinking more in the vein of like Arctic Monkeys, The Neighborhood, and Glass Animals. Oh. Oh no. Oh boy, that's gonna be a lot of pedals. <laughs> Well, you better get to it. I'm gonna go play Pal World. What? You're leaving me by myself to handle this? Yeah, for sure. This is my challenge for you. My rules, rule number seven, is I get to play Pal World while you do the hard part. <sighs> Whatever. Fine. All right, guys. Looks like we're going at it alone. Let's get to it. Okay. So when I'm building a pedal board, it's tempting for me to get the boring stuff, like the pedal board infrastructure, out of the way first, Stuff like the board itself and the power supply, but that can actually be a little difficult to do and end up hurting you in the long run. If we try to choose our board and power supply first, it sort of limits how many pedals we can have on the board, or conversely, if we're left with a lot of empty space, we can feel like we have to fill that space with pedals we don't necessarily need. I can't tell you how many times I've seen a post on the internet where somebody's just like, hey, I've got this empty space on my board, what do I put there? So let's think about what we actually need. When it comes to the pedals, there's really the question of quality versus quantity. I could totally sit here and fill this guy up with Amazon, AliExpress, Wish.com, or Temu clones, and have a board with 15 pedals on it for under 600 bucks, no problem. But the thing I'd be worried about is noise and durability. As a majority of those pedals I've tried out, I experienced some pretty bad noise issues and the failure rate is somewhat high. I think for this genre, I want to identify the core sounds and focus our budget there, pedals that we'll use in nearly every song. Then we can take the rest of our budget and get maybe some less expensive pedals for the sounds we won't use all the time. For this style of alt rock, a big staple of the genre is a really washy, dreamy lo-fi sound. And I really can't think of a better pedal than the Zvex Instant Lo-Fi Junkie. This guy is an extremely versatile pedal, and I mean, come on, lo-fi is in the name. We did an episode a while ago where we tried to get the lo-fi sound on a budget, and we pretty much ended, uh, ended with approximating the effect of the lo-fi junkie using compression, vibrato, and EQ. This guy does all of those things in one, with controls for volume, tone, a blend knob between our compressed signal and our vibrato signal, depth of the vibrato, speed, and a three-position waveform switch for the vibrato with options for sine wave, triangle wave, and square wave. The only issue with this is it's 239 bucks for the less expensive Vexter version. The only real difference between this guy and the $369 non-Vexter version is that it's not hand-painted and the warranty is for only two years instead of a lifetime. But we're on a budget, and even the Vexter version is going to eat up quite a bit of it, about a quarter of our budget. So that takes care of both our modulation and our compression. We have a little less control over it than I'd like because they're not separate pedals, and of course we'll have to change settings in between songs, but we're limited by the almighty steward of the pocketbook, so we gotta get it in where we can. The next big thing I want to look at is a lo-fi drive. This genre really has two types of dirt, a light sort of breakup that pushes your amp into slightly gritty areas that's almost always on, as well as a really heavy fuzz for those huge sounding power chords. I'm really tempted to go with something like the JHS Kilt here because it's got my overdrive, distortion, and fuzz on it accessible via toggle switches. 
but my concern with it is the fuzz won't necessarily be enough. I'm really wanting an octave fuzz that's got a really heavy low end to it. One option is to take the kilt and throw something like an Earthquaker device's tentacle in front of it to give it that octave fuzz quality, but I'm not really sure that's going to work out. The other option is to go with an actual octave fuzz, something like the Warm Audio Foxy Tone Box, a clone of the Fox Tone Machine. The third option that I'm really considering is a Russian Big Muff with an octave pedal, which is probably going to be the cheapest option of the three. In fact, let's shoot them out real quick and see how they sound. Here's the Foxy Tone Box for reference, an actual octave fuzz. Okay, that's okay, but it's not as much low end as I'd like, so let's try the kilt with the tentacle in the kilt's fuzz mode. That sounds a little too messy still. Let's try the big muff with the tentacle. That's the type of grit that I'm looking for. I think we're going to go with the Russian Muff and the Tentacle. I mean, it does make sense. The Russian Muff is pretty popular in the alt-rock genre. It's got plenty of low end, and that Big Muff-style tone control gives us a lot of range to dial in the amount of bite that we want. The Russian Muff is $108, bucks and the Tentacle is $129, bucks, bringing us to a total now of $476. Jeez, we have not even done delay, reverb, or drive yet. We might have to ignore excess pedals on this go-around and go... Pretty bare bones here. Alright, so on to our drive. We need something that'll push our amp into breakup without being too aggressive. That's what the muff is for. I'm honestly thinking that we could just go with a boost here. For all intents and purposes, I'm going to be using something like a Tube Screamer as a boost here anyway. Oh, you know what? This will be pretty versatile and get us that boosted drive sound. In fact, it's literally designed for this. Let's give the Earthquaker device's special cranker a shot. Great pedal, but I don't think it's going to do it for us here. Something about the clipping is just a little too harsh and sterile for what I'm going for. Instead of sounding like pushed grit, it sounds more like a clipping transistor radio in that clip. Let's give an actual boost a try with the Walrus Emissary. Okay, that sounds really good for this. Instead of just straight grit, we can dial back the amount of grit that we want, either with our volume knob or by just digging into the strings a little harder to bring it up. 
I'm a little nervous now with our budget. I really want to go with the special cranker because it's like a hundred bucks and this guy is 200 and that brings our total up to $675. Yikes. Okay, now we're in trouble. We've got, uh, how much do we have left? Let's see, 25, $325 left and we still need to get delay, reverb, the actual board and the power supply. Originally, I was thinking something like the slow would be great, super dreamy and washed out reverb, but I'm thinking we're going to have to go with a combo delay and reverb here to get pretty creative with the settings, so I think I'm going to try the Boss RE2. Ooh, wait, you know what? Hales! Yeah, what's up? So, as long as it's not a modeling amp, I can use any amp I want, right? Uh, sure. Okay, dope, thanks. Are you trying to hit on a technicality? No. No, just asking questions, that's all. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, you can leave now. Okay. Don't worry about what I'm doing. All right. Uh, okay, now that I think about it, maybe that won't help as much. I was going to consider using my Jazz Chorus clone because it has a spring reverb tank in it, but now that I think about it, that may not be washy enough for us. I know the RE2 has a spring reverb in it that it's emulating, but I'm thinking that maybe the delay and the reverb together might give us enough of a washy, dreamy sound that we can get away with it. Maybe give it a... Uh, no. You know what? On second thought, let's just try the slow first. That was my gut feeling, and I'm sticking to it. We'll keep the RE2 as a plan B. I'm sold. It's on the board. It's a pricey boy at 200 bucks, which brings our total up to $874, but I think we're done with pedals now and we can move on to accessories. Alright, so accessories. What do we need for a pedal board? Well, we need the board itself, a power supply, and cables, plus our mounting hardware. Now it's super easy to skimp out on this stuff once you've blown your budget on some awesome pedals, and while a part of me is like, why would I use crap hardware for pedals I really care about, the other part of me is on the team of how much does a metal surface really matter. So I'm going to head to Amazon and we're going to look for some products that I've used before. The big things we're worried about here is that our board fits all of our pedals, our power supply has enough ports to power our pedals, and that we have enough cables. First things first, determining the pedal board. For this, a great tool is the website Pedal Playground. It's only accessible on a computer, not on a phone, but what we can do is actually place all of our pedals to scale in a physical space and see how much room we need. If Pedal Playground doesn't have your pedal, you can always create a custom one in their UI that has the exact dimensions of your pedal, same deal for pedal boards. So if you're planning to build your own board, it's a great tool. Thankfully, Pedal Playground has all of our pedals in there, and considering we're only using five, I think we can get away with a single width board. The only thing we need to be cognizant of here is making sure we leave enough space for our cables. I think we're going to need to go with something the size of a Monolite Plus, which is about 5.5 inches by 14 inches. It should just fit everything that we've got on our board. Now a Monolite Plus is 150 bucks, which in my opinion at least, nothing against mono, is quite a bit of money for a hunk of metal. Not saying that it's bad at all, but personally I'm a little upsetty spaghetti at paying that much for a plain flat pedal board. 
But on Amazon, if we just search guitar pedal board and start scrolling, we'll find this brand called Ghostfire that I've used quite a bit. They're really durable and light, they've got good reviews, and their SPL01 is just 0.3 inches shorter than the Monolite Plus for only 35 bucks. Plus it comes with Velcro, a gig bag, and albeit not enough to do a clean job, zip ties and tie down mounts. Next, our power supply, and this is where I'd be a little wary. We did an episode a while back talking about the differences between those cheaper power supplies from brands like Kaleen and Amun, and while they do work, they're really no different than a one-spot daisy chain. These daisy chains can introduce noise because they're not an isolated power supply, and if you want more of the technical info on this, check out episode 41 and its accompanying page on the website. You'll see a description of the issue, as well as a method to use a multimeter to determine if a power supply is truly isolated or not. Since we're combining analog and digital pedals on the same board, it's a good rule of thumb to stick with an isolated power supply, and the cheapest truly isolated power supply I've found is the Mosky ISO 10. It's 65 bucks, so we're paying a little more than the cheaper $30 non-isolated supplies, but all things considered, this is where spending a little bit more is easily worth it. This guy has 10 isolated outputs that provide anywhere from 300 milliamps to 500 milliamps for our power-hungry digital pedals, as well as two outlets that can switch from 9, 12, or 18 volts. It's even got a 1000 milliamp USB output to charge a phone, plug in a lamp, or even power a USB-capable pedal like the Peterson Strobostomp. The last thing we need is our patch cables. We got five pedals, so we'll need four patch cables. I'd always recommend soldered over solderless patch cables because of the quality and durability of the connection. Since we've got such a tight fit on our board, we're going to need the flattest cables that we can muster, namely in the jacks. And our standard pancake jacks should be just fine for this application. MXR sells a 3-pack of 6-inch patch cables with pancake jacks for 12 bucks, so we'll pick up two of those and have two patch cables to spare for whatever else we need for 24 bucks. The only thing I'd caution you guys about here are the quarter-inch male to quarter-inch male straight pedal connectors. These guys are usually like golden color, and they're a solid piece of metal all the way through with a quarter-inch jack on either side. While they seem like they can save a lot of space, they will easily kill your pedals. The difference between these guys and cables is that the cables have the ability to flex in between connections. So if I'm stomping really hard on my pedal board, let's say I'm just turning one pedal on or off, normally it's not a big deal. Pedal moves around a bit, it's fine. But with these connectors, since it's a rigid connection between your pedals, I end up putting pressure on the jacks of not only the pedal I'm stomping, but the pedals connected to it as well. If your pedals have PCB mounted jacks, as many mass production pedals do, this can put mechanical stress on the solder joints and cause the jack to rip off, sometimes taking parts of the PCB with it, making a repair extremely difficult. Just stick with patch cables and account for the room you'll need to put them together. Alright, so the total cost of our accessories is 124 bucks, plus the 874 from our pedals brings us to $998. Just under budget. Wow. I'm a little disappointed. I was hoping we'd have like at least 50 bucks left over to throw in a TC Electronic Crescendo. Super cool effect that would work great for this genre, but whatever, it is what it is. All right, everybody, Haley's back in the studio. Hello, everybody. And now we're going to put our board to the test. Wait, wait, wait. Let's follow the checklist of the rules. Okay. What does it cost? $998, just Ooh. barely in budget. All right, there's the... <laughs> I'm impressed, but I'm also skeptical. What do you mean? You want me to break everything down for you? I mean, there's no way that you came that close. 
Okay, I will pull out the list. I will break everything down. No, I'm good. Did you account for sales tax? Uh, no. You didn't say I had to. (sighs) I should have done sales tax and shipping. What? No, shipping doesn't count. But sales tax would be like 7%, and that would put us uh, almost $70 over budget. So, uh, no? Please? All right, fine. (laughs) All right, two. Does it handle a cover gig? We will demonstrate that in a minute, Iron Chef style. All right. Three, did you include the pedal board and power supply? Sure did. Board, power supply, patch cables, Velcro, and a gig bag. Right. Fancy, fancy. Well, it came with that stuff with the pedal board, so... (laughs) Oh. Okay, then. Um, Four, any accessories? Uh, Sadly, no. We couldn't afford them at this budget with all the pedals that we used. Uh, more focused about getting a good tone than the switcher, but that means that we'll be doing quite a bit of tap dancing during songs and knob adjustment between songs with this board. Okay, five. What amp are you using? Uh, so I was trying to cheat earlier. Um, the jazz chorus has a spring reverb tank on it, and I was going to get away with that as my reverb, and uh, ended up ending up not choosing to do that, but still going with that amp anyway. So the Hammony Jazz Chorus 3000. Okay, good choice, good choice. All analog and jazz choruses are great, loud, high headroom amps that work as good as pedal as a good pedal platform. Oh, thank you very much. Six, did you use the new price for everything? Yep, pulled it from either Sweetwater, the manufacturer's website, or Amazon. Alrighty then, let's hear it. Well, Master Chef. I've prepared a selection of three tones comprised of sonic alt-rock bliss for you today. For our appetizer, a modulated, compressed, lo-fi tone with some dreamy reverb to accommodate the cleanest of mellow verses. This tone uses a healthy serving of vibrato and compression from the Zvex Instant Lo-Fi Junkie, the auditory nirvana of the Walrus Slows modulated reverb, and hints of grit provided by the Walrus Audio Emissary. Very well. Present your tone. I'm actually very impressed. That sounded a lot like The Neighborhood. Yeah? Yeah. That was only three of our five pedals. Ooh. So like I was talking about, that was the Lo-Fi Junkie, the Slow, and the Emissary. The Emissary, I had the Bright Boost cranked pretty high. Uh, the Mid Boost was just around one o'clock. The Lo-Fi Junkie, I was using that very heavily, as you could tell. You could hear the compression squashing the crap out of that signal plus all the vibrato, and then the slow was dragging out those tails to make it super dreamy sounding. Anything else you want to say about it? No, I'm proud of you. You did a good job. Oh, there we go. I'm not going to do the British accent anymore because I feel like 
it's not even close and British people are going to get upset. Um, still haven't tried toast and beans yet, if you were there for the last episode. We need to do that, like, soon. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> for our second tone, we're going to be going for that really deep, woolly octave fuzz prevalent on the choruses of the alt-rock genre. Here, I was thinking more like Arctic Monkeys and Bad Flower, Royal Blood sort of area. In this tone, we're going to be making use of the Electroharmonic's Russian Mafari issue, along with the Earthquaker device's tentacle to get us some octave dirt and breakup on the signal in the high end. That did not sound like the Arctic Monkeys. Okay, that was more royal blood, bad flower. You know who yeah, they are, but, right? But I said Arctic Monkeys. I know who bad flower is. Yeah, but they're like the same genre. At least I think of them as like the same, right? Do they not I fit? Don't know. What genre? Okay. Who? Bad flower. What genre is bad flower? American rock band. They are known for their modern alternative rock and post grunge music. What about royal blood? What genre is Royal Blood? English rock duo, modern garage rock and blues rock. I mean, you normally you play rock on a stage, so playing rock in a garage is definitely alternative. Right? Can you argue with that? I don't have the patience to argue. Mm -hmm. There we go. But does it sound close to them, at least? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, that didn't sound very confident at first. <laughs> a little worried. I don't know. I like it. Uh, with some adjustment, it would probably sound more like Arctic Monkeys. But keep in mind, this is supposed to be like a board for a cover band. So we're trying to cover a the whole genre instead of just one band necessarily, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah, I could see it, I could see it working with some adjustments, but... Okay. For our final tone, we're going to bring it back to another cleaner tone. This one with a more prevalent guitar signal by dialing back our lo-fi junkie getting rid of the emissary, and dialing back the slow to give us a much clearer definition behind our notes. definitely hear the glass animals hiding in there yeah yeah that's definitely what i was going for with that specific tone so some arctic monkeys or some neighborhood sorry some neighborhood some royal blood bad flower and then some glass animals so what'd you think you think we succeeded in building a cover band board for under a grand i think you did a pretty good job i'm still iffy on that sales tax part but... i mean you gave me a grand to work with yeah for yeah. a whole board, for a genre that is very pedal-dependent. Yeah, you, you did a pretty good job. Okay. So I... Would you say that I win the challenge? I guess. Ah, there we go. 
<sighs> well, I'll say that for me, at least, this challenge was honestly pretty fun to do. Uh, I do get asked for gear recommendations a lot, and it's definitely with a budget in mind, but usually it's for like a hyper-specific use case to upgrade one part of a rig. Never really a, hey, make this entire rig to do this purpose sort of thing. If you guys enjoyed walking through the process for this challenge, uh, let us know. We'd love to do more of these types of episodes. It was really a blast getting through it. And if you want, send us a challenge of your own. We'd be happy to take it on, maybe even working together this time, instead of you leaving me to drown while you go catch wild animals in Pal World. Hey, first of all, they're called Pals, and second of all, don't act like you don't love that game too. Yeah, I love it, but I wanted to play too, and you left me. Well? <sighs> Did you know there's a pickup that's actually driven by onboard vacuum tubes? You ever heard of that one, Hales? No. Yeah, it's actually made by a Finnish boutique guitar maker, and it's called the Valvebucker Mark II. It uses an onboard preamp driven by actual vacuum tubes. It looks pretty similar to a gold foil pickup, and it sounds insanely cool. The only catch is the pickup is more than $2,000. Oh my gosh. Now, this pickup is only available as an option built into a Rokongas guitar, and yes, that two grand is just for the pickup alone. The pickup comes with an accompanying floor unit that includes XLR outputs for you to use it as a DI box. It looks really cool. My only gripe with it is that you can't buy it separately, but it somewhat makes sense because you'd have to buy or build your entire guitar from the ground up to accommodate it. Either way, it's a cool idea. How big is it? Um, you know, like... Like a little bit bigger than a coffee mug? Maybe the size of like a soup bowl? Because the pickup itself is like a regular pickup size. Granted, it's only for seven string guitars, from what I can tell. But um, they also make them for like four and five string basses. But the plate that surrounds it that holds the preamp with the vacuum tubes is about the size of a small soup bowl. And that makes sense. I mean, you have to fit vacuum tubes. You know how vacuum tubes are pretty large. That's why I'm confused how they're in a pickup. They're not in the pickup itself. The They're calling it a whole pickup because it's this soup bowl-sized plate, but the pickup itself is the size of a regular pickup, just about, maybe a little bigger, and then the tubes are to the sides of it underneath that plate. You get it? Yeah, that's, that still sounds crazy. Yeah, two grand is the crazy part. That's what I'm stuck on. Anyway, reach out over Facebook, Reddit, or email us at pedalsandpickups at gmail.com to suggest topics or just chat about gear. You can also check out our website, pedalsandpickups.com, for more information on every episode, merch for the show, and all kinds of fun stuff. Speaking of merch, if you don't have a t-shirt, like me right now, I look kind of like a homeless person. I am wearing a Taco Bell t-shirt that was, I think it was yours, right? It was mine. How long have you had this? Like three years. See, that's, well, no, that's really not that old for a shirt. I have shirts older than that. Yeah. But... I look like a homeless person. I couldn't wear this in public, but you know what I could wear in public? Can you guess? A Pedals and Pickups t-shirt? Oh, for sure I could. I could wear that anywhere. I could wear it to church. I could wear it to a wedding. I could wear it to a funeral. Probably wouldn't be very... Well, it is black. It wouldn't be very appropriate at a wedding. I mean, people wear black suits to weddings. I don't, I don't know. I've seen people wear those t-shirts that look like a tux to a wedding. Okay, yeah, that's true. Like, this is better than that. At least with a tux t-shirt, you are acknowledging that you're not trying. With this, <laughs> you're just kind of not trying. But if you want to be the local weirdo at a wedding with a podcast t-shirt on, go to our website and buy a shirt. You'll love it. Guarantee it. 
If you like the show and you want to see it continue, consider supporting the show on Patreon. Every dollar goes right back into the podcast for hosting fees, gear, and equipment to make the show. Trust me, these studio upgrades are... They're something. (laughs) Anyway, it was great hanging out with you guys. Great doing this little challenge. I hope you guys enjoyed it like we did. Uh, Next week, our episode might be a little short and a little dry, considering how far apart we'll have the studio torn apart by then. But we'll see. We'll see you then. Until then, take care.